It's go time. This is a weekly podcast featuring special guests where we'll discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. We've got a great show lined up today. This is our first episode, so we're going to do some brief introductions and talk a little bit about what the show is about. And then we've got some news items that we'd like to talk about. With that said, uh, I'm Eric St. Martin. I've been programming in Go since about 2011, I think it was. Uh, I'm co-organizer of GopherCon, uh, along with Brian Kettleson, who is also here with us. Brian, say hello. Hello. Uh, you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Brian Kettleson. I've been doing Go since 2010. And like Eric mentioned, uh, co-founded Gopher Academy and started GopherCon because we wanted a conference to go to and nobody else was doing it. Darn it. We need more conferences. Definitely need more conferences. <laughs> we, do. we do. I'm really glad to see the explosion of Go conferences uh, around the world. And uh, we also have Carlicia Campos here with us. Carlicia, how are you? Hi, Eric. Hi, Brian. And hi to the listeners. I work as a backend uh, developer for a net tech startup. I'm based in San Diego. My first contact with Go was when I went to GopherCon last year and I fell in love. It was great. It seemed to me like it brought together features of uh, different languages that I liked. And I've been playing with it since. Um, I'm also a co-founding member of GoBridge. And... Uh, Kind of like the same reason you guys wanted conferences. I wanted to, I wanted to have material to learn Go and also help whoever wanted to learn Go. So I'm glad that GoBridge exists to do that. No, that's excellent. I think uh, I think that's kind of a, a shared love of all of us here on the show is just kind of advocating community and advocating people get into this language and technology we love. And hopefully, with our different backgrounds and experiences, we can. Uh, bring some insights to the listeners and also introduce them into things that they might, they might not already be familiar with. With that being said, uh, one of the segments that uh, will be a common thread is we'll talk about some news and events and any interesting articles that have come across um, our emails and social media and everywhere we find the things. Um, along with having some special guests, we've actually got quite a few um, really interesting guests lined up for the next couple of episodes. So definitely stay tuned for those. If you haven't already, um, please subscribe. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to go to gotime.fm. And you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter there. We also would like to advocate for everybody to hit us up on Twitter at gotime.fm with any questions you'd like to hear us answer. Questions for guests we have coming up. Questions in general. Feedback, comments, feedback, praise, kudos. Suggestions for guests to be interviewed. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to hear from everybody. Um, people we should invite on the show. There's so many great people in the community that I think that we could get on here. I guess with that being said, let's open this up to some news. Does anybody have anything interesting that's come across their email and social media this week? I do. I think the, the biggest new thing that came out was uh, Go 1.6.1 and 1.5.4 were released. Uh, small security issues uh, on Windows and crypto libs, but everybody should update. There's really no reason to be using Go 1.4 anymore. So go update to 1.5.4 or 1.6.1 now. 
that's a big one. And now th those um, those releases were actually a couple of uh, CVE um, security vulnerabilities, right? I know that one was related to um, DLL injection, and I forget what the other one was. If I remember right, the Windows one uh, would allow a program to load any DLL dynamically that happened to be in the same library as the executable Go file. So that was fixed. And then the other one had something to do with uh, the crypto libraries not checking bounds on numbers that they sent into the big integer library. Uh, and it, I think it specifically affected HTTPS client certificates and Go SSH clients. Uh, that's right. I think I vaguely remember that. Um, it, it was something pertaining to being able to um, create uh, denial of service attacks on binaries that leverage that. Right. So the next big news item I have is uh, the explosion in Go editors these days. If you follow me on Twitter, you know my undying love for Vim and Vim Go. Uh, but really, there's a lot of great editors out there right now that have good Go support. Um, I played with Visual Studio Code on all three major platforms this week. I played on Mac, I played on Linux, and I played on Windows. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really impressed the integration with the environment, the debugging worked everywhere. Uh, all of the, the tools work well. If you're somebody that likes a more formal looking text editor, Visual Studio Code is awesome. Uh, the Atom editor got a big update this week. I think it's at 1.6 now. It's uh, really 1.7. 1.7. Okay. So I got a big update this week and the Go tools there look fantastic too. So there's really a lot of great options for editing code if you like just text editors. And then the IntelliJ big plugin for for Go and on the IDEA platform is awesome. It looks really good. So if you don't mind having that big IDE, then IntelliJ with the uh, Go plugin is amazing too. And Carlicia, you're an Atom user, aren't you? I am. Diehard fan. So I, I keep wanting to love these things, but I, I, think, I guess I'm too stuck in my ways. So how, how have you been liking the new update? Well, I since 1.6 had, uh, I actually just today I noticed uh, some features that 1.6 introduced and I, I, I can't go and talk about this stuff forever, but just I hope we will have an episode that, just to talk about editors and the tool, different Go tools in each editor. And um, so I, I'll talk more about it then. Uh, I wanted to say though that for Visual Studio, I got very interested in checking it out. Because I see people who are very, uh, that I admire in the Go community using Visual Studio with Go packages, and they are loving it. And I tried it twice, and I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. And I totally geek out on editors, so I was willing to go out there and look for stuff. So I'm hoping somebody's going to do like a video walkthrough showing us all the features. And if somebody has already done that, please let us know. because. Sounds awesome, but I didn't get it. I keep seeing these editors come out and uh, IDEs, and I'm like, I, I want to use it. And every time I try, I'm just like, I want Vim back. I want my Vim back. <laughs> and speaking of which, uh, I mean, news-wise, uh, they just announced Vim 8, which I'm pretty excited about. That's and I'm sure big. Brian is too. Yeah, that's big. So, and especially with the async functionality, right? I mean, that's been one of the biggest pain points with people. Um, creating IDE-like functionality, doing builds and tests and things like that in the background is that um, there were all these little hacky workarounds for doing 
uh, asynchronous tasks inside of Vim. So I think that that's really going to change the game for um, the ability for plugins to be built. Yeah, I'm curious to see uh, where the NeoVim world ends up now that Vim 8 is announced with the asynchronous support. Uh, it will it will be, I think, detrimental to the community if the async support in Vim 8 is different than the ones in in uh, NeoVim. I hope that they end up being roughly compatible and it doesn't make all of these plugins uh, have to have different forks for different environments. Uh, I've been using NeoVim for two years now as my primary editor. Uh, and along with Vim Go, once you add the, the asynchronous capabilities, I mean, you just, you can't go wrong. It's, it's really awesome to be able to just run your Go tests asynchronously and get a pop-up in your, in your status bar that tells you whether they pass or fail. Uh, same with your Go builds. You know, that, that async capability is, is really, really nice in Vim Go. You know, that's funny. I hadn't even considered that when I was looking at that Vim 8 announcement that what does this do for NeoVim? I know NeoVim has, you know, some additional goals on top of just the async functionality, but the whole reason it was created was kind of this whole fear that, you know, Vim was going to kind of stay mostly the same. So I wonder whether they'll merge efforts or whether they'll continue to, like you said, maintain different forks or. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But with that being said, uh, we're, we're kind of going Vim instead of uh, <laughs> Go here. <laughs> yeah, but talking about tools, I wanted to mention this article that came up this week. Uh, it was somebody from the Washington Post talking about really neat things about Go. And one of the things, of course, is the tooling. And I absolutely love this article. It made me feel just fuzzy and warm inside. Because not everything is perfect, everything, everything has flaws, etc. But I was reading the article and I was going, yep, yep, yep. You know, we mentioned the, all of the, what makes Go super awesome. And when I had my first contact with Go, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to type so much. If I wanted to type so much, I would have stayed doing Java. And what is this? But let me check it out. Everybody's saying it's great, so let me just stick with it. And that continued for a long time until I found out about the tools. And Go imports, for example, at least in Atom, I cannot live without it. Once I, I went forever without knowing about it, and all of these neat little um, annoyances that you initially think might be annoyances, they just go away with, with using these tools, which is what we are talking about here. So the article is really well worth a read. If you want to get familiar with uh, what's, what Go has to offer, it's called Embrace Go, a modern programming language. And I don't know if you guys really have something to say about it. And this is the Washington Post article? Yeah, yeah. And they are using Go at the Washington Post. And also they are doing this uh, Coral project, which is, uh, seems to be a platform for communities, for the publishing industry. I'm not very familiar with it, but I know, for example, Bill Kennedy uh, has helped them with that project. And he keeps saying, it's great. It's great. I don't, I'm not very familiar with it. I would love to have somebody from the Washington Post come and talk about it, both that project and how they're using Go at the Washington Post. So I read the article and my big complaint is he tagged it with GopherCon in the tags on the blog post, but doesn't mention GopherCon anywhere. What is <laughs> going on with the GopherCon tag? And no GopherCon content. He links to it. Where? He links to GopherCon and he links to a blog on the Gopher Academy. 
Oh, interesting. When it, when uh, the word momentum is linked to GopherCon. Oh, nice. And there is well, a he I'll, links I'll to I'll take that post. SEO. That's wow. <laughs> well, Carlicia has got like memorization of what word is linked. That's <laughs> <impressed>. wild. <laughs> It's because I, he, he highlighted momentum and I said, hey, and I wanted to see what he was pointing to. So I noticed. And I, I actually haven't had a chance to read the article yet. So I think it'll be, be interesting for me to, to read. But I mean, speaking of momentum, I mean, like when we look at the language and how it's grown over the years, it's just staggering. It just blows my mind just how fast it blew up and the number of companies that uh, have kind of jumped on board and have started releasing information about stuff that they're building with Go. It seems like every day there's there's a new you know Fortune 100 company being like, yep, we're using it too. Yeah, I I think it's it's a double edged sword though because when you read Hacker News or you know Reddit, you expect to see these gigantic the world changed because we moved to Go, and and it's really more of a soft uh, excitement. You know, people are gradually updating all of their things to Go, and it doesn't feel revolutionary. It feels evolutionary, and I think there's a lot of, um, I don't know if pent up disappointment is the right word for it, but I think people are expecting some gigantic big bang and there just isn't one. It's just this groundswell of, of grassroots go adoption everywhere. And it, it doesn't read well in like the TOB index. It just, it's, it's strange. Go adoption is, is going really well. It just doesn't look like it externally. Yeah, I guess that's true, right? A lot of people are using it for internal projects and just probably not as vocal about it. You know, and I mean, uh, one example of of kind of little grassroots type things is the um, uh, the Bauer news that came out. Was it last week? Week before? Yeah, I think maybe that was last week. Yeah. Um, and they they rewrote part of their um, API for I think it was fetching the packages, wasn't it? Yeah, serving up Bauer assets. Yeah, so that, I mean that that's awesome. I mean, and it's great that they release that information too, right? And you you wonder how the the JavaScript community sees that that they didn't kind of dog food, right? Well, I hope they're all as pragmatic and and anti dogma as we are. You know, you use the right tool for the job, and in that case, they proved to themselves that Go was the right tool for that job. You know, there are there are places where I wouldn't want to yet use Go. Uh, I can think of a few places that Go is difficult to use, like mobile development. But you got to use the right tool. Yeah. And I think that has to, a lot to do with how we are not seeing this huge uh, trend towards moving to Go because people might, want, might say, oh, I want to have this feature. I want to have that feature. Let's, do, let's implement this feature so I can do X, which I cannot do unless I have this feature. Or it would just be so annoying. But that's not what Go is all about. If you dig a little deeper, uh, there were uh, some uh, the the some releases, some some of the past releases of Go, they had improvements, but there was no there were no syntax changes, and uh, like Frances came out and said, that's a feature. The fact that it didn't the syntax didn't change, that it's a feature in itself, and that says everything about the philosophy of Go. It's not to be used for everything. It's to be used for specific things, but those specific things, it does re- it does a it does them really well. <laughs> so and I think we covet uh, the things we know, though, right? You know, so we, we naturally want to grasp to the things that we're familiar with. And especially when you're in kind of like a high stakes environment where you're just trying to get stuff done. So you reach for some tool or technique that you're, you know, 
you've done a million times before and it's not there and it feels painful, right? And I mean, I, I was I was around watching Brian adopt Vim, right? And it just seemed like this <laughs> completely unnatural thing for him. And it, like he he wanted to understand, like he knows people are productive with this and they love it, but he just, you know, every time it just felt unnatural. And sometimes you just kind of have to put yourself in the frame of mind of, you know, somebody in that and, and just kind of accept it for what it is. And then you kind of start to, to see the love that people have for it. Yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of learning graph for that where uh, you, you try to do the things that you're used to and eventually you give up and then try to understand how to do it the, the way of the tool that you're using. And, and for me, that was a, a very painful project or process coming from Ruby. I kept trying to write Ruby code in Go and being disappointed in, in how well it worked. Uh, it wasn't until you start to put yourself in the Go mindset and understand what that Go mindset is that, that things really click nicely. Yeah, I've said that before. There has to be some stick to itness with Go and probably with most things. But definitely, if you stick to it a little bit, you will see it. You know, it's interesting. So um, Brian and I had a couple conversations with um, Manning publishers um, with the Go in Action book. And it was funny because they kept pressing this idea of, you know, what's the silver bullet? You know, what's that one line selling point for Go? And, you know, the thing Brian and I kept coming back to and, you know, talking with Bill Kennedy, too, when we were all kind of collaborating on this effort was there's no silver bullet, right? There's it's it's all the things that are there and it's all the things that aren't. It's all the little things collectively that make it such a fun and interesting language. And it, it's not this huge thing like, you know, monads or, or, or whatever. <laughs> I, I had to say monad. I had to. Thank you. Thanks for getting that in there. I think if one thing sticks out for Go, though, and I've seen, it, especially on Twitter a million times, it's people saying that Go is optimized for programmers because reading code is the most important thing that a developer does. And Go is really easy to read. I saw a tweet, I think this morning or yesterday, the same thing. You know, once, once my developers were able to read Go efficiently, we all decided that Go was the place for us to be because reading Go code is, is simple. It's easy to understand what's happening. And you know, there are other languages that are, are interesting and sexy and, and exciting. You know, Scala is a great example, but you know, trying to understand what happens in a Scala program, it takes a PhD. I can't do it. I'm not interesting. Talking about getting to know Go and sticking to it, there is another tool, well, I should say initiative that I came across some time ago and recently again. It's called Your First PR. It's, there is a Twitter handle called Your First PR, and there is a website and a GitHub repo. So basically, it's an initiative to bring together people who have never contributed to open source. And we are hoping that if you want to do Go, and are looking for ideas for projects, just hop on this and f find out things that you can do and practice your goal and practice your open source contribution. And so it, bridges, it tries to bridge people who are looking for opportunities to contribute to open source with maintainers who have projects and have uh, issues that pe for people to solve, for people to implement. Now, the way it works is you as a maintainer, have to find uh, you, you, the issues that would be appropriate for uh, the first, a first-time open-source contributor. And you would tweet at them the issue, or you would go on their repo and add an issue there. 
And I would imagine that you can also submit a list of uh, filtered issues that maybe you tag with, for example, help wanted or beginner friendly. And there are two articles on that website. And one that I had read some time ago and I absolutely loved. It's called um, First Timers Only. And I highly suggest people who are maintainers to read that. You just, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of ideas. And I hope the Go community will grow and more people will be exposed to it and uh, have a chance to learn about it, practice, and maybe you stick to it or not, but at least you give it a shot. So you, this is a great opportunity. And people who are uh, doing open source development, you can use this to get help. So it's a win-win all around. And we always say is that coding is about coding more, right? You get better at coding by coding. And also I always say, if you're a developer, get together with people, get together with developer community, and open source contribution is great for that. So it's just perfect all around, I think. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I've always been an advocate of everybody contributing to open source. And I think that fear of rejection keeps a lot of people from it too. Um, but yeah, those bite-sized chunk things, I think, are a great way. And I think also accepting that no, that the code that you see people deliver is not their first pass, right? Like everybody has this perception of you know that their favorite programmer and they just you know spew golden code on pass one and you know sometimes they uh sometimes any solution is better than no solution and you know i've i've commonly told people you know that kind of feel bad during code reviews and you know having pull requests rejected that and not necessarily rejected, but feedback, right? Like, oh, well, it would be more performant if you did X or it would be cleaner if you did Y. That to, to understand that solving the problem is the hardest part, that, you know, it's easy to look at somebody's solution and to think about how to mold that a little better, right? It's an iteration of something that already exists versus solving the initial problem. And I think that, you know, if, if you step out of your comfort zone, you can learn a lot from from other people and projects and digging around in source code. Absolutely. I think I think making your first contribution to any open source project is a gigantic barrier. There's so much that we as programmers can do locally that that becomes much more difficult when you're doing it on a remote or distributed project. You know, the, the whole concept of Git and pull requests and branches and merging and, you know, all of that is, is uh, intimidating if it's the first time you've tried it. So having patience is important. You know, that's one of the things that we try to do in Slack a lot with the Gopher Slack is uh, walk people through the whole process easily without judgment and, and with lots of patient to, lots of patience, excuse me, to, um, to help them contribute because once they have a, a great success on that first contribution, you know, there's going to be a second and a third. You're, you're preparing this, the next generation of OSS developers. I think it's a, a great point though, too, about one of the things that's uh, so great about the Go community is how inviting they are. Um, you know, I remember in the early days when I joined, it was a lot of academic people and, you know, I, I didn't go to college for this stuff. I've been doing it a number of years and I feel I'm good at what I do, but I don't have the academic background that some of these people do. And you feel intimidated coming into it. And everybody's so approachable. It, it doesn't matter who it is you talk to. Everybody sits down and everybody's just excited about the language. And if they can help and teach people, they do it. And I, I think that's one of the things that's kind of kept me around. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. My first, uh, my first Go contributions were brutal, terrible. 
uh, the first open source thing that I released, I, I think I announced it on the Go mailing list, the Go Golang announce list or whatever it was. And uh, three or four people immediately chimed in with corrections to my awful code. And they did it in a very polite and inviting way, not in a, you're an idiot, we hate you kind of way. And that was, that was, that set the tone for the whole Go community for me. And how about Carlicia? How, what was your experience kind of coming in and uh, interacting with the existing community? My first interactions were just getting to know people and being completely absorbed in because I wasn't a Go developer. Nobody cared. Totally. At the, I was at, at GopherCon and everybody talked to me. I, I'm the kind of person who just goes up to everyone. So I go up to anyone and say, hey, what's up? What do you do? Tell me, what, tell me about you. And I was doing that for all the, uh, throughout the, all the days and got to know so many people. It was uh, very heartwarming. And I got to know the women at Women Who Go. I got to meet um, many new developers in the Go community. So that was my first, very first contact. And I think that counts as community contact as well, not just uh, contributing to open source, right? I haven't done code contributions, just mostly contributing to material for GoBridge as far as Go goes. Uh, I'm actually, I I want to get better at open source contributions. So that's one uh, of the reasons why I'm so interested in these things. Yeah, and I mean, even small tasks, Right. I mean, maintaining an open source project is a lot of work. A lot of people do this in their spare time and contributing is kind of like a means of thanking them. Right. People are grateful for any help they can get, even the smallest bite sized tasks. And uh, speaking of thanking open source projects, Brian, you uh, recently started this whole free software Friday hashtag. Yeah, that's the best segue you've ever made, Eric. I appreciate it. I started this in, I think, November with a a blog post about how good it felt to have someone thank me for a particular open source project that I did and how much I feel like uh, open source developers in general just enjoy that, that concept of appreciation. We often scratch our own itches in the open source world. We, we build a tool that we need because we need it and we release it because we believe in open source, but it's, it's kind of fun when you get a, a tweet or uh, even a, uh, an issue on your GitHub repository that, that isn't really an issue, it just says thanks. So I started a hashtag on Twitter called Free Software Friday, where I, I actually put a calendar event in my calendar every morning, every Friday morning at 9 a.m. I, I think of the open source projects that I really appreciate that I might have used over the last week. And I just send a shout out to either the project or the maintainer if I know them. And uh, I, I want to continue that here in the podcast because it's important to let the people know that are working so hard that you appreciate the things that they're, they're giving their time for. I agree. I think that's a, you know, prime real estate there. I, I, I would love to reach out and uh, thank everybody for all the tools that we use on a daily basis that help us uh, be productive and, and build cool and interesting projects without having to invest so much time. So why don't we quickly go around and uh, thank your uh, favorite project or projects for this week? Brian, you want to kick it off? Sure. Uh, I spent a little bit of time using Rancher from Rancher Labs this past week, and I was really amazed at how nicely it managed uh, 
the whole Docker experience in production. So I, I want to give them a, a huge shout out for making that open source and available. It's it's a little bit less intimidating than something like Kubernetes when you're starting off, but it has a lot of really powerful features and a nice nice uh, a nice interface. It makes it easy to use. So I definitely want to shout out to Rancher. No, that's great. I mean, all, all these container projects have been so interesting. And Rancher is unfortunately one I have not played with myself, but I think I need to add that to my list for uh, weekend hackery. Is it just for Linux? Yes, it is. It's a, a, a container orchestration tool. So it only deploys on things that, well, it, it deploys on anything that runs Docker. So I guess technically now that, that Macs and Windows run a form of Docker, it's not just for Linux anymore. So I correct myself. It's not just for Linux, but it is just for Linux. <laughs> and Carlicia, who would you like to thank this week? Oh, I totally geeked out on my editor just recently. I do that every once in a while. And I wanted to thank the person who created Vmode Plus. He only has a handle. It's C9MD. And uh, that was built on top of Vmode. And th those two are packages for Adam. It's just so you can use Vim. Is he usually helpful for me? Because I, I do like Vim and I want to use it. But get to a point that I get stuck. And that's where I use, I activate just the Atom interface. So very worth checking out, especially um, the new features with Vim Plus, Vim Mode Plus. One of them that I really liked was the search functionality. You get highlighting, incremental search, search counter, and there are many other new things. So thank you. And speaking of Vim, I would like to thank Vim itself. And uh, I, I guess I have to do kind of a, a triplet here because Vim, Arch Linux, and i3 Window Manager, um, those are like the core things everything else I do builds on top of. So I think without any of them. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. So I, I guess without any of them, I would not be nearly as productive. Yeah, that, that in, in my mind, uh, Vim, Arch, and i3 are almost religion for me at this point. And we'll convert more. We'll convert more. <laughs> <laughs> the one true way to develop. So for anybody else who wants to reach out to um, open source uh, maintainers or projects in general or companies that support people who work on these open source initiatives, um, definitely follow and re reuse the Free Software Friday hashtag on Twitter on Fridays. Um, and I guess with that being said, time to close out the show. I want to thank everybody here on the panel for uh, jumping on this call and having some good conversations. I want to thank all the current listeners and all the future ones that the current listeners are going to pull in by sending them to gotime.fm. Yeah, don't forget that you can share the show by... Uh finding us at gotime.fm or uh, tweeting at gotime.fm. Yes, and definitely, as we mentioned earlier in the show, um, send us questions, send us um, people you'd like to see on the show, or if you want to come on the show, um, definitely reach out to us there. We also have a GitHub set up where uh, issues can be open for these things if you prefer that, which is github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping. And with that being said, uh, I guess goodbye, everybody, until uh, next week. And next week, we have a special guest uh, coming on the show. Um, Corey. Yeah, Corey Lanou. 
Wow, I, lo- I lost my head there. I gotcha. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Corey will be coming on to talk a bit about community. And uh, I think that's something we can all relate to. Uh, so until next week, bye, everybody. Goodbye. This was fun. Goodbye.